The Internet Explained. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis on Radio Live. Show number 155 of Radio Live's only show about the internet, social media, and all that other jazz. I was listening to the promo just now. I don't write those things. The internet explained. The internet. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to text me. You're gonna have to text me or tweet me and explain the internet. Text three nine two zero keyword live or tweet me at Vaughan Davis. And I think that would be a service to all of us if someone would be so kind as to explain the internet. Hey, welcome to the show. It's going to be a cracker. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered what goes into the making of one of those games that people seem to sit on the bus and play and play and play rather than looking out the window. We're going to cast a bit of light onto that one later in the show. Mr. Julian Waters turns up and he's got some big news, some big serious news for those of you who are users of Teledildonics. Now, if you are a user, you'll know what it is. If you're not a user, I can't explain till after 10 p.m. We've got a fantastic download suggestion for any of you who are into The Bachelor or indeed into eggplants. There is actually a crossover between eggplants or aubergine and The Bachelor and an iPhone tip, an iPhone tip for any of you suffering from very small hands. First, though... Games are everywhere, and they've come one heck of a long way since I was lucky enough to go around to my mate's place in the Hutt Valley in mm, the 1970s and get a go at Pong. What might surprise a bunch of you listening is that many of the games we play on our mobile phones especially are made right here in New Zealand. I'm very, very excited to be speaking to two young developers at the forefront of this, Tom O'Brien and Claire Barilla. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Hey, let's let's cut straight to it. You've just come back from a game developers conference in San Francisco, which must have been a little bit mind blowing. Uh, talking about your game Rattle Trap Racing. Um, tell me about this game. Who, who who came up with it? What is it? Oh well, Rattle Trap was a, a concept that we brought up at school, um, at university, at Media Design School. Um, but it's it's basically a, a local multiplayer racing game where it's not so much about being the first one across the finish line, but it's more about messing with your friends and placing traps and activating them at the best time to, to mess them over and be the last one standing. And when you say local multi... So it's a, it's a, it's a car racing game? A, 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 yes. A, a, yeah. So when you say local multiplayer racing, uh, Claire, what does that mean? Um, basically, it means that you sit around a TV with controllers and your mates. So it's instead of being online where you play with you know strangers online, it's completely local to your couch where you and your friends can play together. And and is this a big thing? Because I've got I've I've got to say when I think of gaming, I think of two things. I think of either um, you know some some shadow on a bus, um, you know, trying to turn squares into candy. 
apologies if that's you listening out there. Um, or, or you know, 10,000 10, kids all trying to play, uh, you know, um, League of Legends at the same time in a, in a, in a, in a weird sort of dragon-infested universe. This, this is kind of somewhere in between. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful spectrum with games because they they kind of appeal to a, a very wide range of audiences. So you do have those candy crushers who will sit on the bus on the twenty minute journey that they've got, and they'll you know do that for their day. And then you've got those people on the other end of the spectrum that you know like that single player uh, immersive world that they like to get lost in. Um, for us with with Rattle Trap, we wanted to appeal to the people that liked to look back to the, the earlier days of gaming where it was about the, the relationships that you're having with the people next to you. You know, you were playing games and you could you could reach out and, you know, punch the player next to you if they were being mean to you or you could you could share in the awesome moments that you were having with the people around you. So that's where Rattle Trap really uh, really thrived for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking I'm literally, as I said in the intro, literally thinking back to being quite a young kid Sitting in front of someone's color TV with with a with Ooh. a uh, I know with a wood grain box, two big knobs on it, playing pong and playing and playing Absolutely. playing tennis with each other. So so rattle trap racing. What what does it what does it work on? You say it was on the TV, but how does it get to the TV? <laughs> so um, it was it was developed on PC. So originally it was developed for um, like actually like working on the PC. So you would have. Uh, it's running on your computer and you'd sit around the computer screen and you'd plug in a bunch of controllers into your computer and you would play it like that. Um, we started PlayStation 4 development, so it could be released on the PlayStation 4, so actually like proper consoles. Um, yeah, so it's, 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 it's preliminarily a console game designed for um, consoles like Xbox and PlayStation, but at the moment it's just developed for PC. The journey from hey, let's do a you know local network racing game where it's all about helping your mates or or not helping your mates rather than winning. The journey from that idea to whoa, you can go into the shop and or the online shop and, and buy one. Tell me how that works and you know, how's how's it worked in this case for for Rattle Trap Racing. Well, for Rattle Trap, it's it's we for PC we release through Steam, which is a, a marketplace where it, it's basically an online shop that you can walk in and you can browse through the games on the shelves. But it's it's your computer. Um, mm -hmm. For for things like PlayStation, they have their own marketplace. They have their own uh, means of sharing these games around and distributing them to people. Um, and as developers, we're very fortunate that uh, these sort of online marketplaces are so thriving now because. It's quite a big feat getting your games onto shelves physically. You know, you have to yeah. go through the whole manufacturing process. You have to go through the branding and marketing and packaging processes, and it's it's quite intimidating for a, an indie team to be able to do that. So, uh, having that ease of access and the the less resistance of just being able to download a game, it means that much more people can have access to your game, and you actually get the the wider audience being able to access it rather than just those who can go and buy the disc. I guess I guess the downside, though, is, is if it's easy to get your game into the virtual store in Steam or whatever marketplace, there's going to be one heck of a lot of games out there. And, and how do you make yours stand out? How, how do you, you know, apart from, you know, appearing on Radio Live on a Sunday night, how do you, how do you connect potential players to your game? 
that's that's one of the trickiest parts. I mean, very, very few games now, like the majority of games are all digital release. Like very few actually do a physical copy where you can go into the store and buy it. Yeah. Most of it is is, is through these digital marketplaces. Um, but the tricky, the thing that, you know, you have to work on to make sure that, you know, your voice is sort of heard is you, you need to have um, a unique selling point for your game. Um, you need to be able to connect out and reach out to media outlets that specifically like target games like IGN and Rock Paper Shotgun. And if it's if it's an indie game, then you have to be able to reach out to um, networks that sort of promote these sort of things. Um, and then of course there's also social media. Social media marketing is a big is a big part of like the strategy for most developers. Is it's you know making sure that you're active on community management and making sure that you have growing communities around your games that you can manage and you can attract more people in. Because because of the way that things have changed, you know, customers expect developers to engage with them. They expect um, to be heard and listened to, you know, through these social media platforms. And it's a very valuable skill nowadays. So that, that, that's a big change. Like, you know, I used to play Crash Bandicoot and love Crash Bandicoot, but I had no idea who the developer was. That was, that was none of my business, and I would never have expected to communicate with them. But, but, now, but now it's sort of a, a little bit more peer-to-peer. Yeah, there's a there's a much bigger responsibility between the relationship of developer and consumer now because, you know, through these digital marketplaces, it's not a case of when you've released the game, that's it done. You know, there's there's the ability to go back and fix things that are potentially present, in, uh, problems that are present in the game, or you know, provide updates of content and being able to expand on the game that people have already fallen in love with. It's that seems to be the way that. The, the relationship is at the moment and it is it's quite a big shift from that um that original mentality but it's also quite cool because you know you can release a game and you can hear this feedback from people uh, some people might love certain bits some people might not and you can, you can expand on the feedback that you get from the players you know you can listen to your audience rather than kind of just going in it blind or having to do massive massive market testing beforehand so it's it's a give and take there's a lot more responsibility on you but you can do so much more with this relationship now so so rattle track racing that that's out there in the world now right am i correct it's well it's it's out there through certain areas um we're still working on it behind the scenes because there were there were a lot of a little issues present that we want that we wanted to really nail down and really polish out before have, basically saying here have it um, so we're still working on it there are certain builds available for people that really want to give it a go and, and, uh, and those those people who have given it a go ha, ha, has the feedback surprised you in any way that have other things that people love the things that you thought they would love Claire uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, like, as soon as you put anything out, there's going to be a, a bunch of users who, who enjoy certain aspects and, and um, who don't enjoy others. So it's it's always, like, you always get, like, really good constructive feedback, and that's why you sort of do these sort of early release platforms where you don't get a huge amount of users, but you get some to give you that feedback. It's it's almost essentially doing your, your, your QA testing because you're making sure that, you know, like, if a, if a player finds a bug, if they find an issue that you can address that before you release it to a wider audience and that's sort of the phase that we're at and um at the moment we've had it we've had a very positive response so um, most people sort of understand the premise most people after you know a few rounds understand how the game is played 
and it's just a case now of you know tweaking and making it feel really really good for the players. I guess w w one of uh, the, the uh, I don't know if it's the opposite of a bug, but uh, an alternative to a bug is an unexpected wonderful thing, an Easter egg. Have, have you have you hidden many interesting and wonderful things in your game? Well, it, it was spoiler if you tell me, but tell me one. <laughs> well, there's there's a few sort of uh, interactions that happen, and there's um, some nice little case uh, case scenarios that we really hope uh, really do stand out for people. Um, at the end of every round of the game, we we sort of award points based on interesting things that happened during the game because we, we're constantly watching behind the scenes for those little interactions. Um, and you know, when you're sitting with your friend and you know you you set off a trap and it makes them go flying, you know for you you're really satisfied by that event. You're like, yeah, take that. But to have a reminder at the end as to those events and to have almost like a congratulations for, hey, you did that really cool thing. Mean, mean, really mean move. Rather than just the traditional scoring, which is, you know, first, second, third, and, and, and here's your best lap time. Hey, talking to Wellington-based game developers Claire Barilla and Tom O'Brien, back soon. Vaughan Davis, hashtag Sunday Social, Radio Live. Welcome back to Sunday Social. I'm Vaughan Davis, and with me on the line from Wellington, the home, the heartland of New Zealand computer game development, Claire Barilla and Tom O'Brien. Welcome back. Thank you. Now, we were talking about your, your current game, Rattle Trap Racing. Take me through from the, the day one of you had, had the idea for this game through the process of actually making one. How does this work? Do you suddenly you know, turn, turn up your office, turn on your computer and start tapping ones and zeros, or is, or is it a bit more nuanced than that? For us, we sat down with regards... Um, we, when we design games, we think about the games that we want to play. Uh, and that's, that's a really nice focus because you know, we've been playing games for years and years and we know the, you know the quirks that we love and we know the interactions that we really want to pull from audiences and we really focused on that with Rattle Trap. We wanted people to be yelling and screaming at each other for, for the really cool things that happened and for messing each other over. So we thought of that and we thought how can we really pull that, um, those interactions from our players. And then... From there, you start concepting. So you make quick, sort of really short form uh, prototypes of the, the little mechanics and the little areas of the game that you want to explore. So these these, uh, proto you, these prototypes you're talking about, clear. What, what what form do these take? Are they are they on, on, on paper, or, or is there or is there sort of rapid prototyping tools that you use for for game development? How do you do it? Um, yeah, so what we do is after, as Tom said, after we come up with a concept and we think, okay, this is um, what we want to do, we identify key mechanics and after that we we basically go into a game engine. So for us, we use Unreal Engine. Um, so that's like a pre-designed game engine that is free and open source. Um, so we go into Unreal Engine and we say, okay, how can we achieve this in a week? So we nail down the two, one or two like key components of the game. Um, on the art side and then on the programming side and we send the programmers off to get these two or three key mechanics in and then we get the artist to quickly mock up a quick world to make it look good and then at the end of the week hopefully you have something that is playable and something that is you can see if this concept is going to work. It's like a proof of concept. That's wow, so, so, so a week from I've got an idea to mm, this might work. So you guys... 
are obviously not the entire team involved in this game. You talked about talking to you know designers and talking to developers. How many people involved in in, in the making of a, a you know a racing game like Rattle Track Racing? So there were six of us. Um, so we had three artists and three programmers. It's generally fairly small, um, honestly, considering like the scope and the size of our game. Uh, most most like big companies will have a few hundred people working on a single racing game, depending on the size. Um, but for smaller teams like us, um, we we usually have yeah, like you said, three artists, three programmers, and you'll have you know people focusing on individual tasks. So you know we had one of our artists who was focusing on level design, and he built all of our tracks and he researched them and play tested them to make sure they felt good. Um, we had our lead artist who was responsible for defining our art style. Uh, we had me who was responsible for building the world and building our environments and sort of our product management and a bit of our marketing. Um, Tom was, he was responsible for all of the gameplay, like how the cars handle, how they felt. We had a programmer working on UI and scoring. So tell me about had, UI, what's UI mean? Uh, user, user interaction, so user interface. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the, the menu systems and the scoring systems. And then we had another programmer who was focusing on the camera because that's quite a big task in a game like ours. So the, the point of view that, you, that you're seeing this, this, this game experience through. So you've got, you've got six people working, working for some time on this game. These six people and their, and their children, if they have them, have to eat. How does the money work? Where, how, how are you going to pay for all this? And, and, and at what point does it become profitable, Tom? Well, for, for us, we were very fortunate in the sense that we actually developed Rattletrap Racing while we were studying at university. So at Media Design School, part of your third-year uh, papers is to actually take a game from concept to uh, execution. But, yeah, we actually, on a previous title, we developed it during the, the three-month break between university years. And, yeah, we, we were working full-time on the game and had very little monetary income or support to actually be able to, to finance it. So for, for indie game development, there's really finding that balance between, okay, I can work for this long on the game and I have to work this amount of time elsewhere to be able to finance it. Or you have to save up you know, a, a larger sum of money or get investment, or all that sort of things to, to really finance your title. So let, let's let's talk about the marketplace. So casting my mind back to those PlayStation examples I gave, you know, we were paying yeah. I don't know hundred dollars or a little bit more for a PlayStation game, and nowadays just looking through certainly the mobile app store, the price appears to be mm, roughly zero. Um, <laughs> what are you likely to charge for your game for Rattletrap Racing, and 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 what's what's the standard for this sort of game? Well, for, for Rattletrap in particular, we're actually thinking of just releasing it out there. You know, we, just for free, we we made the game in a very safe, closed environment at university, so there wasn't actually that much um, uh, financial expenditure on our part. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just, we loved the game and we loved playing it, and we, we just want to share that with people. Uh, on the flip side, with the, the mobile market, Claire can really tap into uh, the, the finer details behind how that market works at the moment. Yeah, so Claire, you're working at a Wellington company I've heard a lot about called Pickpock, and this this is all about those those games that typically seem to cost zero. Yeah, so um, the the thing the thing with that is that it's everything is monetized through in-app purchases and ads. 
Um, I've actually started working on the monetization side, yeah. So I'm, I'm working as ad operations and monetizing all of the games that they release. So what you do is you basically have an application and you tell the player that, you know, it's free. And it is free. Like, you can play the game through its entirety for free. But if you want extra bonuses, if you want extra coins, um, if you want, you know, extra money or extra rewards, what we have is something called rewarded video. Mm -hmm. So they can watch an ad and they can get extra money, they can get extra coins, things that help them as they progress through the game. And a lot of people take the option. So we get, because um, I mean, any time like you offer someone something, like if you just watch a 30 second ad, you can get, you know, 100 gold coins, which you can spend on a, a sword. Character. Yeah. Yeah. So you basically earn your money through these ad networks paying to be in your game. Um, what, 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 do you reckon, what do you reckon the percentages, you might not have this number, but of, of all the people, you know, who, who download this free game, how many actually would, would give their attention or, or indeed sometimes give money to, um, to you know, to monetize it? Um, most, most players, honestly. Um, I think out of, like, the, the daily active users that we have, the majority of them, at least, like, a good 80 90% will... Um, use the you rewarded video they will use the option to get more currency or more in-game stuff um, just to watch an ad look at that so let, let's let's talk about the industry itself so tom you're working for an, um, uh, an indie company which is uh, perhaps a bit smaller than pickpock is that right uh yeah yeah we're we're substantially smaller than pickpock um having just recently expanded and and Looking at the, I mean, Wellington seems to be a little bit of bit of a bit of a hub for these things. Claire, Pickpock, how many people? How many people at your company? Um, so I think Pickpock is just under a hundred people at the moment. That's that's uh, a that's we, a pretty chunky company. That's a pretty yeah. chunky company. And, and and is this sort of a community of game developed companies in in Wellington? Yeah, um, there's this most of the most of the big studios are down here in Wellington, and there are quite a quite a few people, like a few studios out. Because um, at the moment we have three of like the biggest ones in New Zealand. We obviously have Pickpock, uh, we have uh, Magic Leap, and we have Aurora 44 with Thomas. We have a few other like small. Oh, we also have um, the guys who worked on automation, so Camshaft, um, and we have Dinosaur Polo Club. We have a few other independent developers down here. So, so there's, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of alternatives. If you're a clever kid, there's a, there's a, there's some alternatives to uh, working on boring accounting software, huh? Yeah, which is which is very good news in so many ways. Hey, talk me through briefly how you got into this game, so to speak, this industry, and 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 how you know anyone listening, how how they or the, or their kids can go about that. Well, it starts very early. I mean, despite what people might sort of presume about finding work, it's especially in an industry like this. It's about knowing people and it's about showing them what you're capable of and that you're passionate about what you're doing. So for Claire and I, we have, in the last three years of us being in game development, we've actually been volunteering at events and attending conferences and making sure that we are present in the community. So we'd, it, you're building relationships with people. You're showing that you're the sort of person that they want to work with and that you're, you're capable of what you're saying that you can do. Uh, so, for example, Claire and I volunteered at... Uh, Melbourne Games Week at uh, GCAP, which is a, an international conference. Mm -hmm. But while we were there, we actually made so many amazing contacts just within the New Zealand game community uh, because you know it, it attracts people from all over the world. And, and Claire, uh, and what about the education side of things? How important is that? 
So um, education-wise, it's it's always tricky. Um, I think that the, the most valuable thing that you can have if you want to get into games is, is passion. You have to have passion and you have to be willing to learn because because the games industry is such a quick, fast-changing thing. There are new technologies being developed all the time and you have to be really, really keen on learning um, about the games industry and about like new tech because because things are changing all the time. You have to stay on top of them. So I think that if you're passionate about what you want to do and you have a very strong willingness to learn and to take a few hits, then you're, you'll be fine in terms of like finding a career in games and... And just, just, just to wrap, um, Tom, favourite game of all time and why? Oh, good God. Uh, uh, Binding of Isaac, probably. As, as weird as that sounds, it's, it's quite a, a strange game, but it's one of those games that you can drop hundreds of hours into uh, just finding every little seeker and every little weird interaction that there might be in the game. So is that Binding of Isaac? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to look that up. Claire, same question. <laughs> Um, mine's probably the Mass Effect series. Um, it's, it's it's all three games. Like I don't really have a favorite. It's just a very well designed narrative kind of game, which is also a first person shooter. So if you're into that type of thing, it's, it's also good for that. But I, I just enjoy the narrative. First person shooters, awesome. Hey, uh, Claire Barilla and Tom O'Brien, co-developers of up and coming new game Rattle Trap Racing. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. It's been an absolute Thank pleasure, everyone. Thank you very much. Hey, and you can listen back to that interview and all the other 154 interviews we've done on the show at radiolive.co.nz under Shows and Sunday Social. And if you are into podcasts or if you've never listened to a podcast and you're thinking, I should try this podcast thing, well, I recommend you go to iTunes and search Radio Live Sunday Social and download that one. After the break, Mr. Julian Waters is here waiting, waiting in the studio with, as I said, big news for anyone with small hands. Connecting you to the future of the internet. internet. It's Sunday Social with Vaughan Davis. And welcome back to Sunday Social. There's something in the waters and his name is Julian. Welcome, buddy. Thank you, Vaughan. Did, did you see what I did there? Yes, I did. Did you know also that every time you start this section, you say, and... And I listen to the podcast before I come on and I just hear, and... It's my thing. It's my thing. It's, it's like, uh, thing. here's... I do that. And... Like that. It's just a, and is meant to be for the middle of a sentence. It's just a strange first you thing can't, to say. So you can't start a, you can't start a, a sentence with an and. Well, it's, it's like there's the ads and then it's and... We're back. I suppose it's all right. Yeah, I know. yeah, I know. It's beautiful. It's yeah, beautiful. Listeners, I, let us know. It's yeah. just my it's my little idiosyncrasy. It's why it's why it's why people keep on tuning in to the show, Julian. That that and the one in five chance that they'll get you. That they'll get you. I I, I heard Brooke Fraser um uh, watched Brooke Fraser perform that song live once um at uh, in Austin, Texas, in Austin, Texas, the South by Southwest at a, a Kiwi Music Showcase. And 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 I'm not telling tales here, but she probably took about. Hmm, 25 minutes to set up the band and five minutes to play the song. It was a bit out of proportion, yeah. I thought. But it's a good song. Technology for you. She's very talented. Great, she, great Kiwi. Well, she's more talented than, than than either of us. Well, at the at the singing and uh, you know. And at, that would have been at, South by Southwest, right? That would have been South by Southwest. I was thinking about that going on right now and how everybody says, oh, it's it's one of those things people go to. It's, it's like the kids from school who go on a you know a trip to somewhere and they come back and say, it's a great experience. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. All the rich it's kids. All, all the rich kids get to go to Disneyland. Yeah. So I mean, that, I was there five years ago. That is an entirely 
different story. Hey, um, you're a bit of a, you're a bit of an old romantic, Julian. So uh, the the biggest sacrifice for you tonight would be to be sitting here in the studio with me and not watching The Bachelor. How come you aren't The Bachelor? <laughs> Did you turn them down? Is it, is it, is it, was the money no good? Yeah, maybe I just need to lose a few few kgs. I, I do hit the gym with uh, the original New Zealand Bachelor occasionally. I see him see him around there. I don't even know who that is. Uh, Art Green, Art Green, shout out Art Green, and your lovely partner that you're still with. Is he a good guy? Uh, yeah, seems like a good guy. Seems like a good guy. So if if you were well, he held the door once, for if, the kids. There you yeah. go. If you were at home watching The Bachelor. Which, uh, you know, if you're listening later on the podcast, you might have been previously watching The Bachelor. I'm so confused. The time zones are mucking me up. Um, watching a TV program now is not complete unless you're engaging social media-wise. And you have got, you have got, for the listeners at home, the ultimate way to engage with TV3's The Bachelor uh, online, haven't you? You do. Haven't you? Haven't you? And you don't need words. Romance has never been about words, has it? Oh, it totally so. has for me. I am, I am totally romantic on Twitter. With words. That's all about the words. Yeah. Well, it's, I think the song said, it's only words and words are all I have to take your heart away. But if you can't write good wordage like me... Follow at Vaughan Davis. Yeah, you need, you, need, you need pictures. You need pictures. And, and you've got the pictures. And, bat and the bat Bachelor have them. They've got their own emoji set. What, what are they? Sort of 70 of them. So, what, so an emoji is one of those little pictures that you can drop into your text message or Facebook message or tweet or, or post, right? From, modern, from modern your mobile day, phone. Modern day hieroglyphics. Modern day hieroglyphics. And The Bachelor has come out with a set. It has. They are, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to make some of the comments there, but that, that we're in our, in, our, in, our, in our notes. But yes, they have a set of emojis. They have stickers for the, uh, the bloke, stickers for the ladies, stickers for the host, and stickers for Other the things. mechanics. Other things. So I was, I was looking at that. Uh, so, so let's first look about the stickers for the ladies. And I, I don't know any of them. But if I were to look at the stickers, um, it, they, they seem to suggest to me that they all have identical bodies, particularly identical breasts, and only their faces vary. That, that's interesting. I haven't watched the show. Is that, is, that, is that an accurate representation, do you think, or is that artistic license on the part of the emoji? Yeah, I, I haven't watched it either, so, so the listeners will have to chime in on that one. Um, but, uh, but yes, uh, all, all, very, all very, you know, lovely-looking stickers. So, so um, how, do we, how do we use this? How do, how do we get these? How do we use them? Well, that's, that's the thing. It's a, you know, when they say they're an emoji set, so... Uh, your standard smartphone device, your iPhone or inferior Huawei. piece of technology has a uh, keyboard that you can switch from letters into these pictures. Uh, and there's a standard set of emoji that we all use regularly. Now, if you want to use the bachelor emojis, it depends on your uh, device, what you do. So you can go to the Apple uh, store. There's a link on the, uh, uh, the TV3 or the 3 now, whatever it's called now, yep. or, uh, website. Or, or go to Google Play. Yep. yep yeah, yep, yep, yeah yep, yep, the yep. Google Play store. You, you download. It's, it's an app that you download. Then you, it's got instructions. You go into the settings for the phone, into general keyboard, keyboards. You activate the keyboard. The next time you go into something like Facebook Messenger or, or iMessenger or anything that's got the keyboard, there's a little glow button at the bottom that you'd use to access normal emojis where you just hit it another time. And up comes, up comes your bachelor emojis. Your and bachelor you emojis. Well, them that, and paste them into messages. And it costs nothing, takes you a, f a few minutes of faffing around and then you're into it. Do you know the one that interested me the most? And I'm obsessed with this emoji. You know which one it was, don't you? Eggplant, baby. 
Eggplant. <laughs> Eggplant. And um, folks, if, yeah. if, if you if you see your if you see your children, if you see your children, your nieces and nephews swapping eggplant emojis innocently, well, they're not into aubergine um, recipes. Eggplant is emoji talk for penis. You heard it here first. C- can I confess that I that I googled that that exact matter just to make sure I was fully informed, and I stumbled across a magnificent link: ten emojis to send while sexting. Is that just right? Google it up. That was good. So stuff. this interests me. So the eggplant. Clearly. What else you got? What else you got? So this is all innuendo because there are no, you know, explicit emojis. So let, let's just name them and we won't say what they are meant to represent necessarily. So eggplant, yeah, there's, there's, there's some of that. So that's sort of more in there. Yeah, that, that was more towards the 10 of the list of the 10. Okay, hit me, hit me, hit me. Some, some, of, the, some of the simpler ones were the uh, just the cat with the cross eyes. Um, of course, you've got the various stuff. What does that hearts. mean? Well, you just said not to say what it means. Oh, okay. I get it. it I get it. I get uh, it. Apparently, it's just a little bit naughty. It's a cat. What else smile. you got? What else you got? I really liked the the little Pac-Man character. I get it. I get it. Okay, moving right along. Um, it's just it's, it's our night of dirty. It's our night of dirty. Hey, do you know something just popped up on my phone? I'm gonna I'm gonna divert and I'm gonna talk about an app, an app I absolutely love, and this is right in the moment. An app called Be My Eyes. Have you ever heard of Be My Eyes, Julian? I have a feeling we talked about, maybe we talked about last year, is that we're for blind people? So yeah. Someone can, uh, they're sort of crowdsourcing it is, reading it pictures. Is, it is totally awesome. This is yeah. this is human-powered um, distributed intelligence, shall we say. So Be My Eyes, it's a free app for iPhone and Android. And what it does is it alerts you when a, a, a blind or partially sighted app user somewhere in the world needs something explained to them so i can't answer now because hey i'm on the radio be my eyes but um i got i got a a, a request um back at thanksgiving and the reason i say thanksgiving is because it was from an american user and i accepted the request up came this video call with a person saying hey i need to set my turkey cooker and, and i've been told to cook to 10 can you can you just tell me when the when the uh when the dial is around to 10 it was clearly in brilliant you. and i did be My Eyes. Free app and you feel really, really good once you've done it. Hey, another thing that makes you feel really, really good, of course, um, Julian, is sex toys. And we're going to talk briefly about this before we Tell go me. to the air. This is scandal. This is major scandal. Uh, and this surrounds a, a, a popular um, vibrator, vibrator brand called We Vibe, which I researched. I researched for you. is available in New Zealand. They start around how? On the, on, what do you mean how? How are they available? How did you research it? Google. Oh, I Google, see. of course. Sorry. They're, they're Sorry. available online. They're around $200. And that seems like a lot of money for a little intimate massager. But the reason they're expensive is because they're connected to the internet. And the point of it is, if, let's say, Julian, you and I were lovers. Sure. You've got a very pretty face. You've got a great and you've got, airplane. You've got, a care, you've, got a, you've got caring eyes. <laughs> we could take this anywhere. And let's say you and I were lovers and... And we were separated by geography, or just separated by the by the you know the length of this table, and each of us had a WeVibe device. We could connect. Ooh, sounds like fun. Yep. We could connect through the internet and control each other's devices. See where I'm going here? Yeah. Here's sounds the problem. Like fun. Here's the problem. Let's do it. The company WeVibe has been uh, accused that its user data and its user data is basically everything that happens between you pressing the button and me getting a buzz. Uh, has been has been inappropriately accessed. So it has been accused, alleged, that this company, WeVibe, knows the ins and outs, ha, so to speak, of when its customers Very around good. the world are using the devices. They've settled out of court for some several million dollars. Um, 
admitted no liability, but the message is if you are considering using an internet-connected sex toy, just bear in mind that the internet and privacy do not go together. Hey, after the break, all sorts of mm, non-grotty apps back soon. It's Sunday Social, an hour dedicated to social media with Vaughan Davis. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be Welcome back to Sunday Social. It feels very weird, Julian, not starting that with an and. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I was very self-conscious. Let's just do that again. Play the music again. Play the music again, Brayden. I prefer it. And welcome back to Sunday. That's much better. I feel more comfortable. Welcome back to Sunday Social. There's a bazillion apps out there. Most of them are rubbish, but Julian and I have spent the entire week sifting through them, sifting through them to find the gems and weed out the also-rans. One of them is really worth looking at, or once it arrives, it doesn't exist yet, for anyone interested in fashion. You're a very well-dressed man, Julian. You're wearing a sort of sea green T-shirt, I see. That that I got for five bucks off uh, blanktees.co.nz. Okay. Is it blanktees.co.nz? Something like that. Plain tees? Actually, I can't remember. That's pretty good. Five bucks. I'm I'm, I'm wearing, for the benefit of the listeners at home, a a very fetching fetching sort of mid-blue T-shirt, would you call it? Sort of grey, yeah, grey blue. Well, it's a bit washed. It's one of my favourites. With 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 braille, orange braille mm. across across the front. But you know, it's okay for us. You and I, Julian, clearly have a well honed fashion eye. But people who don't, do. there's a, there's a new website about to come out. Hmm? People really miss out that video here. Yes, um, by the wonderful Brooklyn Decker. I'm always interested in the, the celebrities that tack their name onto things because you think, oh, is this going to be a disaster? But well, uh, Graham Norton Wine, for example, to, to name an example, is is is. Anything but a disaster. It's a triumph. That was a sensational idea. I don't know who came up with that, but they're an absolute genius. Some mad goatee genius. Um, but so, yes, so this is finery. 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 So you scan your wardrobe. So actually, for starters, it probably relies on someone who buys a bunch of clothes. Some of us. Well, who buys know, a bunch of clothes online? Online too, which is where everybody buys their clothes nowadays, don't they? Don't they? Well, I don't know. But if you do, you can scan those receipts and this app will suddenly know a whole lot about the sorts of things that you buy. And then it can feed you useful information about perhaps what you should buy next. So this is cool. This is this this website about to come out called Finery. It's a bit like the whole Amazon recommendations engine. And that that's spooky. You know, you buy you buy, I don't know, twelve books and suddenly it starts predicting books that you already own. And it goes how, how, how do I? How does it know that I, 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 I like that book? But it does. So this this finery thing, you say it scans your wardrobe, but the way it does it, I think, is as interesting as the app itself, because you know it detects what your color preferences are, whether you like, you know, whether you prefer jeans or sequins or sequin jeans or whatever. But it does it by you giving it permission to scan every email in your email app and look for the online purchase receipts. Yeah. Did you get that detail? Did you, what did you make of that detail? I, well, you're, you're, it, you're an it, internet guy. Yeah, it reminded me, actually, I used to religiously watch This Week in Startups, a great uh, podcast out of uh, Silicon Valley, and they had a startup there that wanted access to your credit card statements, so your full bank account, and they would you know, create a, a meta global recommendation engine from everything that you spent money on on your credit card statements. And then they were sort of saying, hey, you know, you know, some people might want to give us their credit card information. Why not? I don't think that startup got too far. So this one's narrowing it down a little bit. It's just looking 
looking for you know, what you bought. And they say that the data remains anonymous. They don't need to know that that was but your then, data. But then so did the Teledildonics people exactly. before the break, and didn't, they? Buzz that didn't they? And look what a buzz so that caused. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. But the, the, the thing is with this stuff, you sort of, you know, so many people have said for the last 20 years with the internet, oh, I can't replace the human, I can't replace walking into a store. Recommendation engines are huge business. Everything has them because that's what you get when you walk into a store. You're standing there, you're looking at the shelf. Oh, this this is interesting. Some of the lovely lady in the shop or the lovely man comes up to you and says, if you like that, why don't you check out this? And that's how you end up spending so much of your money. Which is kind of cool. And, and, and sitting below this, this proposed finery website, and I hope it comes out. I'll give it a go. Mm, do I buy enough clothes? So this this beautiful blue T-shirt with the orange braille was bought for me. Um, would I let it get access to my emails? Don't know. But the interesting thing is sitting behind it is IBM Watson. So this is, you know, one of the world's most mm. powerful artificial intelligence platforms. Here we are. We've built the world's most, in, most powerful artificial intelligence platform. Well, not you and me, but someone else. Uh, we just talk about it, and we're going to use it not to solve hunger or poverty or or clean drinking water. We're going to use it to decide, you know, does this shirt go with that dress, and does my bum look big in this? I love the future. Hey, the, we've probably got time to talk about one more thing, and I want to talk about um, another another a, a view of the world, except a, a more a wide ranging view of the world. Google internal street view. Mm, what's that? And why are we talking about it? Google internal street view. Well, funnily enough, the, the reason it came to mind for me is I, I have a, a client that's just agreed to do a whole lot of great work with me shortly. And, and at, contr at controlroom.co. Controlroom.co well, control will be the uh, technical engine for the website, which is great. But then, you know, they need some visual stuff too. And, uh, you know, talking about, well, what do you do now? You know, you've got to take a video. Well, you need drone footage for the video. But what about an internal tour? Now, most of the time, if someone's looking to find out where a place is, uh, if you don't still have a map book in the back seat of your car, you'll look on Google Maps and you might click on Street View to get um, visual. Just so you, you see like. what the place looks like. Yeah. yeah. Well, now you can take that Street View and you can go all the way inside the building. So so this, this has been the case for a couple of years. It's been it's available. Been I know ASB was one of the first uh, companies in New Zealand to do it. And, and you know, I, I, I should, God knows that's the only way I'm going to get inside ASB these days. So I should have a look on Google internal street view. But uh, now it's it's kind of democratised, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's become a lot more accessible. So if you Google it, haha, yes, um, you can see a bunch of uh, people uh, from, from Invercargill to the Cape Rang, probably, or Kaitaia at least, who can turn up with this little uh, camera that looks in lots of directions and they'll walk through your building uh, stopping every few metres and they will get an internal tour. So anyone so definitely if you're a motel, a conference venue, any sort of... A restaurant? A restaurant, yeah, absolutely. Anywhere that people will go inside um, why not let them have a thorough tour through Google Maps? Um, th th this is the sort of thing that's just moved, you know, 10 years ago building websites, you just took a couple of photos and slapped them on and you're done. But now you've got to have a presence in Google Maps that's more than just a little location marker. And this, this is a great way to do it. It is pretty cool. I was looking at it. So it's google.com slash streetview slash hire. And when I say hire, this is how you hire people to do it. And, you know, just looking in Auckland, and yes, I know, Radio Live, Auckland, Auckland, Auckland again. There's like 10 people who will come and take, uh, you know, an internal tour or give your website viewers an internal tour around your place. Um, 
a little bit thin on the ground out of town. Uh, Omaru North, Oamaru North, um, only one, only one. But his name is Derek. And Derek, if you're listening... Shout out, Derek. Heidi, hi, and I hope you do one heck of a lot of Google internal street views. Hey, thank you so very much for joining me tonight on Sunday Social. Game developers Tom O'Brien and Claire Barilla, good luck to you. Julian Waters from ControlRoom.co, my technical producer, Braden Two-Legget to quit, as always. And do stay tuned for Graham Hill and the Weekend Variety Wireless. I'm Vaughan Davis, 1999. And 1990.